So this is a guy who lives high on the hog and he has this Tammany Hall style attitude to power. And um, it is, it's the Chicago way, absolutely. Look, the, the, the Chicago way is a deep cultural phenomenon. It's the Chicago way. The Chicago way. That's the focus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand with pen and paper in his hand, defeating foes in every ward with a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso in a tower by the river, Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. So the left, American left's hair is still on fire over the interview that Tucker Carlson got from Vladimir Putin. I don't know, I just thought he was being a journalist and interviewing a powerful world leader who was at war, which is what I thought we did. But another thing happened right around that time, which is President non compos mentis Joe Biden turned himself into a bowl of jelly on national television, screaming like an old man with waving a cane. It was very sad. Not sad. I mean, it was dangerous and afraid and frightening for our country. And all over the world, that moment, there were intelligence officers from China. France, in Brussels, Japan, Germany, name it, Iran. And they were studying everything that the president was saying and doing, coming back to their bosses, their heads of state, who are serious men, and uh, trying trying to answer the question, how far gone is he and how can we take advantage of it? And there's nobody better to talk to on this subject then my brother, Nicholas Cass, for 30-plus years, a veteran of the U.S. State Department, the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Council, and other postings that put him in different and difficult spots, but always with an eye to helping our country. Nick, welcome to the Chicago Way. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Jeff. It's great to be here with you guys. Hello from uh, Balmy uh romania <laughs> in an area outside of bucharest bear free at this time of year or is bear free snow free what is it spetsnets free that's oh i'm sure it is for at least in parts of the part, in this part probably <laughs> i don't know about further downtown but i'm sitting out i'm sitting out in uh in my yard the grass is green i have a cuban cigar and i'm drinking a fine uh romanian single malt whiskey and uh life is good you know? beautiful well nick tell us tell us what it would be tell us what goes through the mind of an of a intelligence officer when Joe Biden is playing the angry grandpa with the cane? Well, I can only, t- I can tell you a couple of things. One, um, everybody uh, in Europe, say, down to the level or up to the level of Uber driver uh, is very, very aware of this problem. Everybody knows there's no pretending uh, there's no ability, there's no way to whitewash it or hide it. Everybody knows that the President of the United States is seriously compromised, not only mentally, but also uh, legally, had it not been for uh, his very protective um, 
uh, Justice Department, we could uh, uh, we'd be in a, even a more difficult immediate situation. But I think that um, it's clear that everybody understands that the guy who's running the show, or at least the person who was uh, um, is nominally supposed to be running it, is not capable. And then that raises the question: Who's running the show? You know, and it's funny. I think I sent you a picture earlier today of Jill Biden at a desk in uh, Air Force One talking about how she was prepping for the G7 or whatever it was. I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. Is it Jill Biden or Jill? Jill, Dr. Jill. Oh, you mean, you mean Edith Wilson as she's called Edith Wilson. And I I think, and I'm trying to, let me just look at the picture here, but it's kind of like she is um, sitting behind a desk and she's, talking about prepping it's in the it looks like it's in air force one and she's talking about prepping for the g7 like she's the president of the united <laughs> states of america oh my god because she is probably well yes it's either her or maybe it's she was working with somebody from the outside <laughs> i mean at this point the the you know you can have a lot of fun with the theories but it is interesting that in this respect that the herd report was kind of like um uh, on the one hand the fact that they said he was non compus mentis, but they wouldn't press charges because of that, shields yeah. him from immediate legal jeopardy, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also like, what, polonium uh, 210, right? You put it in, and it's like basically going to destroy him politically because mm-hmm. uh, there's no hiding it now. And I think the big testament to that fact is um, the fact that so many of the mainstream media are are piling on people who were part of the conspiracy of silence on this uh uh issue are now uh abandoning ship and so the question is why and uh and who benefits from that and uh it's clearly not the biden's I, you know it was interesting i also heard um uh one of obama's wingmen uh eric holder uh tweeting about how unconscionable heard statements were about uh biden's mental acuity uh, but, you know, again, being the cynic that I am, I just wondered whether or not he was uh, privately, uh, you know, clapping his hands as he <laughs> as he wrote mm. that, you know, demonstrating that, you know, of course, Obama world is is fully on board and right. support of, of the president. But secretly In, um, on paper. <laughs> yes. And secretly very, very happy to see, um, you know, see this happen. The question is, is there enough time to make a change or are they stuck? Now, Biden is nothing if not stubborn. And so we'll see. Um, you know, to what extent he's able to hang on to this. But I think it's that kind of situation we are now in, uh, you know, uh, the worst possible situation for the president of the United States, which means at a time of uh, war in the Middle East that seems to be metastasizing, uh, at a time that uh, the war in Ukraine has uh, failed cataclysmically, uh, where China is is in the wings, uh, you have other uh, uh, things to worry about. Uh, that this is not the time, if there ever is a time, uh, for this kind of um, weakness in the Oval. And again, it's not the question of he's weak because he's not attacking Iran. <laughs> he's unable to uh, perhaps uh, appreciate uh, the maneuvers of uh, his international rivals, nor is he able to appreciate the maneuvers of those people who uh, are trying to unseat him. And the question is, who is that? And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that shakes So out. either he's unfit, he's unfit to stand trial, but he's fit to serve as president of the United States? 
Well, I think I the, the the fair way to <laughs> how do you the, solve that? <laughs> well, you don't. I mean, yeah. so the fair way the fair way to look at this, I think, is whoever this whoever um, you know heard is and what his motivations are. He clearly didn't want to uh, try the president. It's kind of like Comey not wanting to try yeah. or to push the button on Hillary, even though he yeah. wanted to slam her. But uh, they push the button reason. on Trump, don't they? Yeah, they right. push a lot of buttons. And him. so that's so the. What that means then is that um, this become returns to the you know sort of political operation, the political realm, the legitimate political realm, which would be the impeachment route or the Twenty um, Fifth uh, Amendment. And I think the impeachment is probably more likely. As a matter of fact, I think if you're going to impeach President Trump on the grounds that upon which he was impeached with the you know Ukraine and Perfect that whole call. operation that happened. Impeachment is still available, and the, and the 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 issue is if you don't use impeachment here, then what do you use it for? And it's already been so discredited by uh, what happened at the end of the Trump administration that it uh, uh, falls, it runs the risk of falling into uh, uh, perpetual disuse. And it's unfortunate because it's there for a reason, and it's kind of. Um, there for these kinds of reasons. And so we'll have to see what they do. I think somebody did file impeachment, articles of impeachment already. I, who knows whether those will go forward. I, I suppose the Republicans will want to just keep the issue alive as long as possible without actually getting rid of them. Yeah, Certainly they don't want Michelle Obama to come in and kick right. their ass. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. They, so, they, they, want, they want the weak guy to stay there. And, yeah, or, but or here's make, the, make it Kamala or whatever. Yeah. But, Nick, here's the thing. As, as a brilliant man wrote recently, and I quoted him in Sunday's column, one indication to watch, this was weeks ago, in an essay called The Deep State and the 2024 Presidential Election Down to right. the Crossroads. Right. This was published in the uh, American Greatness. All right, the quote is, one indication to watch for could be whether elements of Biden's Department of Justice, which has so far worked hard to shield the president, begin to re-examine some of the corruption and other allegations of wrongdoing aimed at the president. Now, wait a minute. That's that's what's happening right now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Looks like it. And so, I mean, well, there's many more um things that potentially could unfold here and so we'll have we'll just have to watch it but i mean it's it sounds in i mean if, if you were looking at this as a foreign country you would be looking at this as a gentle way to try to ease him <laughs> out without uh having to starting draw the war. sword <laughs> yeah. well you don't want to draw the sword completely from its sheath but you want right. people to look at it it's like you know you go into a bar downtown somewhere and something happens and some guy pulls his coat back and he's showing his gun, right? He's not drawing mm-hmm. the gun on you, but guess what? You just saw the gun. So you're going right. to maybe think twice about pursu- you know, pr- continuing to do whatever it was that you were doing. So, um, you know, I think that this is, I mean, the problem with that, and thanks for, for uh, referring to that, John, but I think what the issue with that is, is that, uh, you know, Biden was happy to ride the deep state tiger. We <laughs> talked about this in the article, uh, right. And actually uh, was encouraging uh, publicly and privately uh, the Justice Department and others to go after Trump, right? Right. 
the thing is, once you conjure up those beasts, once you get the genie out of the bottle or unleash the kraken or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> once once you break glass, right? Once and, you uh, break glass, it doesn't. It's not. It, there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to control it. And we may be seeing uh, a situation where there are certainly people uh, in the deep state who do not share President Biden's uh, repeated assertions that he is fully capable of running this country. And so we'll have to see see what happens. But I think it's a very, very troubling moment. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, this is part and parcel of uh, what we've done uh, to ourselves over the course of the last, well, particularly the last seven years, but even longer uh, with respect mm-hmm. to the way the administrative state really runs. So we'll have to Since see how that plays out. Since, Since 9-11. 9/11. And even before, I mean, I think it started back in, um, you know, I mean, Eisenhower, the Republican, yeah. was talking about the military industrial complex. And I remember the first time I heard that phrase, I thought it came from Chairman Mao. I mean, I yeah. had no idea that a war, that a World War II hero and president of the United States and a Republican to boot was the guy who came up with that phrase. So right. um, but uh, so I think we're seeing that uh, de- devolve or evolve into this apparatus now that uh, seems to be operating uh, without any regard to the political uh, masters. And so we'll see uh, how far that's gone. I mean, I don't think it's consolidated to the extent that it did in Turkey, where everything was operating according to, you know, the mm-hmm. dictates of those who controlled it. So there are still places that, you know, in the bureaucracy where people, I think, want to continue to operate in a constitutional manner. I, I, I believe most people are thinking of that, but the trend is not, is not good. And, um, the I think the other side of looking at this whole issue with Biden is you compare his performance uh, and his weakness, uh, intellectual and otherwise, to the performance we saw the other night uh, with Tucker Carlson uh, from oh. from Putin. And, you know, people don't like him. That's great. But I don't think there's any question after watching that, if you haven't watched anything like that before, that you know now that you are presented with a formidable man in charge of that country. And uh, it's uh, not a joke. Not only could he drop missiles down your ha- down your throat, but he could tear your ha- head off with his own hands and, and do it, you know? Well, yeah, and, you know, he's a legit judo black belt on it. Yes. <laughs> yes, true. He's, his technique is excellent. He's not just wrestling bears, like, you know, <laughs> photograph. Yeah, right, right exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I think that's, that's the flip side of this. And so... Uh, you know, he's uh, the guy who has is fully in charge. And what you saw there was uh, very, very revealing. And you, you, I think you talked about this a little bit in the intro about, you know, my previous life uh, as, uh, you know, in intelligence. And, mm-hmm. you know, I can only say that, and this is what I did when I, when I heard the interview. I mean, I did what I imagine there are people all over the world doing, pouring over that. Uh, with extraordinary uh, detail and attention, listening to what Putin said and looking at the body language and everything else mm-hmm. and learning a great deal. So the idea that this was a pointless interview or that nothing would come of it, um, I find that really odd for people in a democracy to argue. It they might just be embarrassing hate, to them. Yeah, they, just they just hate Tucker. That's all they want. They just hate, they hate him. They hate Tucker. They feel threatened by him and Rajalis, perhaps, and also threatened by uh, Putin because of the challenge that he is, direct challenge that he's posing to American uh, hegemony. And that's true. I mean, that he is a challenge. And there's no question about that. 
Nick and Jeff, I'll just tell you one thing. There's nothing like perpetually frightened, hysterical journalists of the left mm-hmm. who like scream and cry and pout and stamp their feet and bark like little dogs when they <laughs> see something that that frightens them. I've only been dealing with that for 35 years, Jeff. Nick? Something like that. Something like that, yes. Yeah, I mean, you you see these hysterical people yeah. responding to people like this, and it just I find it interesting. I know you've had uh, your own share of hysterical uh, former colleagues. Nothing like uh, that. Nothing, nothing yeah. on that uh, massive scale, but uh, significant enough. But, you know, I think it was... Well, you know what I, what I always what? say, hmm. Nick and Jeff? Mm-hmm. I always say that they're welcome. If they want to talk re- like real tough guys, they're always welcome to do so directly but yeah. i might bring them well if not a poppy seed coffee cake maybe something <laughs> more you know. how's that well you know it, it, it is amazing that so much of what you see now uh that stands for journalism in america is about posturing and it was interesting i was uh watching the tucker interview and uh uh he was able to get more out of putin i think uh, valuable information that people will be paying attention to, I guarantee you. Right. Uh, he was able to get more out of Putin by approaching the interview in the manner that he did than yeah. uh, so many of these other ones. And I saw there was one on, I was on, saw on YouTube, an old interview from some dude at NBC who was talking to Putin. And it was all about, look at me, I'm asking Putin the tough question about whether yeah. he, killed, <laughs> he killed people or something like that. And I'm just right. like, okay, all of that, I, you know, it's, it's good that people know that, Right. But right. what are you expecting to get out of the interview? Are you learning anything about Putin's motivation with respect to, uh, you know, uh, the situation in Ukraine or the challenges right. with the United States yeah. or whether or not yeah. he's going to be friends, better friends with Russia or China? Is he worried about that? What's he doing with Turkey? How's he trying to, uh, or Turkey? How's he trying to, uh, you know, forge a relationship there that uh, creates uh, more and more, or with Hungary? that creates more and more internal tension in, in uh, a NATO that is so ideologically driven uh, by the United States that it can't see straight. All of these things were uh, were not even on the table in these other interviews, but I'm sure he got a lot of attaboys, and that's what he was playing for. He was playing for an American audience, that this other fellow, um, mm-hmm. uh, and was not interested in eliciting any information. I mean, I thought, you know, Tucker letting him talk, I mean, put it this way, we're all, you guys have been in that, uh, in the business of journalism and in the uh, business of cultivating sources and trying to figure out how uh, to get people to realize that you're not going to screw them and that you're going to be able to, um, uh, and that you want to hear what they have to say. I mean, there are times when you do that. And um, one of those things is to sort of uh, let people talk. And, yeah, you don't, you don't whip the notepad out of your pocket and start telling, asking them how to spell their names. Yeah, right. you don't, first five minutes. Or you don't journalists say, are good listeners, and that's one hundred percent true. I mean, if you're a journalist, you don't say, "Hey, jerk," or something. <laughs> you know, "Hey, now tell me everything I want to." You know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so, all right. I so back that, to Putin yeah, and, and and Biden. Yeah, right. The, from the from the intelligence officer's perspective, right. What former. happens, former? What happens uh, in the seconds after the interview's done well i mean put it like again i can just tell you uh what i uh, do now you know i mean i i 
I listen carefully. I may take notes. I may um, look at the certain uh, questions and look at his reactions. How much eye contact was he making? How how often did he turn away? Uh, didn't look like he did much turning away, by the way. Um, and uh, trying to and understanding, you know, what his uh, perspective is on these things. Now, he, I, I think Putin made a very strong case about what about the problem with the whole uh, NATO approach to expansion in the region and and uh, particularly with respect to Ukraine. I mean, I think he made an unassailable uh, argument in that respect. This is not uh, there is as bad as people want to say Putin is, which is fine. Let them say that. You know, he did invade uh, uh, Ukraine, yeah. uh, you know, uh, eight years after the war started. But the fact of the matter is that there is a contribute, uh, uh, you know, there's the United States contributed to that by its uh, kind of vehement stance about how Ukraine was going to go into NATO. And you still hear Tony Blinken talking about that, and which is absolutely ludicrous. So you can see that there's like this, um, uh, you know, just a strange uh, dynamic between a Washington that can't see outside of the ideological box and a Putin who, of course, sees. Uh, the world in a completely different way. Now, you may not like it, but that's the way he sees it. And so the question is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to address it? You are speaking to us from uh, Romania. Yes. Now, what is the attitude of the people of Eastern Europe? Because in America, the war hawks like uh, Lindsey Graham, who uh, who are you know are always constantly pushing for war and toughness and, and posturing, uh, are the people of Romania, are the people of Romania and Eastern oh. Europe, are they afraid that Putin is going to Putin's tanks are going to roll right over them now? That uh, he's he's that Ukraine if Ukraine uh, fail, falls, which it is anyway, it's going. Well, to. they're 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 small countries and they're very very vulnerable, and they remember very well uh, what it was like to be under Soviet uh, domination. So I think that that's a fear that they have. But on the other hand, they also would I would say they also are worried that, uh, and we've talked about this before, that you know the guys who are running uh, the show in, in Washington haven't the foggiest clue and are actually making it right. worse. And right. so, I mean, if you look at um, the actual effect of this, you know, people signed on to what uh, the Americans were saying, the smaller countries in particular, uh, without any power to push back or interest in pushing back and hoping that somehow uh, by uh, following uh as one uh, senior diplomat here told me, um, you know, checking our brains out to Washington, whether or not this would uh, pay off. And instead, what they've seen is that, if anything, the Russian military has become more uh, effective and much more powerful, and that, uh, you know, we're on the verge of seeing Russia encroach even closer to uh, the borders, like in of Moldova or, or, or Romania, rather, and uh, Bulgaria and other places. So, in other words, the, the American approach to this has actually made things worse. And it's obviously having its effect on uh, NATO's internal cohesion. And, uh, you know, again, we talked about this before the war even started, John. I think when we talked about, uh, uh, you know, the Monty Python character, Mr. Creosote, mm-hmm. and getting that last wafer and exploding. I mean, I think we've done that to ourselves. We didn't have to play ball in this way. I mean, again... Uh, you know, we decided to turn this into the be-all and end-all. And so I think it's ironic and actually quite insulting for American politicians and bureaucrats and others to to say things like, 
if we back down now, uh, it's, you know, we're going to lose uh, Ukraine. It no. sounds like Nikki Haley talking. It's the uh, Nikki Haley and, frankly, the uh, head of the Central Intelligence Agency who ought right. to know better and all these other people. Because, no, it's not about whether or not Congress uh, provides another $60 billion to Ukraine at this stage in the game. If you really wanted to avoid this kind of strategic catastrophe, you shouldn't have got into it. It's right. like Odysseus. It's like Odysseus said to Agamemnon in the Trojan War when the Trojans were counterattacking. And Agamemnon was saying, oh, this is the disaster. Odysseus kind of grabbed him by the lapels and said, no, you're the disaster. And that's <laughs> what uh, the disaster is our elites who right. led us into this problem. We would not have had this situation had they not behaved in this way. And some of them know better. And they went along with it and to their eternal shame. And so now we're in the situation. So is our is our defeat here in Ukraine as bad as it is for the Ukrainians? No. There's some generals out there talking about how if we lose this war, if we lose this war, uh, you know, we're going to have lost as much as the Ukrainians. I get, I would not say that. But is it a strategic debacle yes. of epic proportions yes, of for the course. United States? Yes. Yes. And whose fault is that? The guys who made a step off the line with the policy that led to this two years ago and more. The Boy. policy, the policy of all this belongs to Barack Obama and Joe Biden and, and, the George, one, and, and George, George Bush. Bush. They're yeah. the ones who exp- like, let's expand NATO. Let's push Russia all over the map. Let's get Raytheon happy. Let's great, create uh, machines of war yeah. and make money, a lot of money in North Carolina and South Carolina. Yeah. So that's that, so, right. So that so the trick for the United States now. I think, is to try to uh, shore up uh, its uh, relations with these NATO countries in the East, uh, make wise policy that helps um, uh, ensure uh, their security, does that without war. Do these people really fear that uh, the Russians are going to march across? I'm sure many of them do. But the fact of the matter is that this, as Putin himself said, one, this would be ludicrous. Even if he was lying, it's still ludicrous right. to think of that. Secondly, they don't have that that, that capability. So what right. you are now being confronted with is a last effort by the same people who got us into this mess to uh-huh. try to shift blame to others and also raise the specter of of this extraordinary conflagration in Western Europe as a means to save their own asses. And it's it's actually not only bad for the United States on a personal level, I think, for American voters who are supposed to be uh, the people who are ultimate decision makers through their representatives. It's insulting to their intelligence. It's insulting to the intelligence of the American people to say that you can't listen to Vladimir Putin. Why? Because some bureaucrat is going to know better than me or, or better than you or better than other people? Right, right. Is that how this is supposed to work? What, what are we? Well, that kind of thinking is the consequence of precisely the deep state um, uh, administrative state mentality, which looks at the people as simply aphids to be managed on a leaf. You know, they're the ants. We're the aphids. They pick us up and position us somewhere else on the leaf where they want us to chew. And then and not supposed to ask any questions. It's the most ridiculous uh, thing. It's quite embarrassing and, and insulting and uh, I think uh, 
you know, I can only hope that, um, you know, we'll see some reckoning about this in the election. The American way is to tear off the whole leaf and then chew it up and spit it in a red solo cup and have somebody sing a great song about red solo cups. But it's not, <laughs> it's not what, it's not that. No, right? I mean, I think it's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. And so all this talk about, oh, you know, we're letting Putin propagandize and this and that and the other thing. Right. I mean, you know, it's just, uh, it's, again, as a, speaking as a professional, all right? Right. The fair, that interview was extremely uh, noteworthy and revealing about well done. Putin's own psychology. Uh, he uh, let it out there, okay? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. now that the American people have a better sense. Now, if they want to supplement their understanding of, of Putin and Russia with the propaganda of all these other people who are saying there's trouble in River City and that we, you know, <laughs> we get the sky's falling, great. Let's listen to that as well. Let's hear it. But how now, do you juxtapose it, what we saw? Right. The, well, how do you juxtapose the uh, Putin singleness of purpose, right, and the resolute seriousness with the old man barking at clouds in the White House? You of don't. The United States. You don't. You, there's no squaring that circle, and I think uh, you know. Again, he could be the rubber stamp for other people who are. Uh, basically making the decision, the people in the team around him, whatever right. it is, right? But the point of the, but the, the, the big point here, you know, putting aside that for the moment, just looking again at the strategic challenge that we face, mm-hmm. we would not have been in this bad of a situation. Yes, you know, uh, in the post-Cold War world, we'd had our moment of unipolar superiority mm-hmm. already, which we squandered away with yes, we did. stupid policies in the Middle East that we're still paying yeah. for, Right. Um, But we would not have fallen so precipitously in the last two years had we decided at the last, you know, at the 11th hour that, oh, wait a minute, before we do this, maybe there's a way to avoid this crisis. But instead, you have people like uh, in the military and Lindsey Graham and others who think that this is a good way to, quote unquote, bleed the Russians and talk talk about killing Russians. Could you imagine? (laughs) Could you imagine if Putin had said something like that? And publicly, oh, geez, well, yeah. this is great. We're going to kill Americans. What do you think we would do? I mean, this is, it's just uh, very, very troubling. The fact that the, the media use, they use him as a useful tool when they need it. You know, they want to get some sort of color in their commentary. Yeah. He's like their Emmanuel Goldstein. Yeah. You know, he can have the two minutes of hate against Putin. And the fact is that with this interview, he kind of broke out of that a little bit. So now, again, this is not about loving Putin. He is right. the leader of the... He's a murderer. Yeah. yeah. You know what? As as President Trump said to somebody, you think we're so innocent? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah. Let's, we can all, you know, you, you know, what did, uh, you know, Michael, uh, what, what did, what did uh, um, what's her name? The actress, Annie Hall actress, who played Kay? In the movie, the Godfather. You know, it it was a son, it. Michael. It was an abortion. No, no yeah. it was the one. It was the one where he said, "Who's being naive, Kay?" Oh yeah, <laughs> my my favorite. I just saw the. Uh, yeah. I just saw the the um, yeah. the ridiculous. I mean, ridiculous movie passed off as uh, as real stuff, directed by Robert De Niro called The Good Shepherd. I mean, if I had been in CIA, I would be embarrassed to even be part of that burlesque because... Dude, John, was... I'll, just, 
Let what? me just let me just tell you, I have never been not embarrassed by movies about the CIA. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like you know how you can you watch movies about journalists? No, I don't think you can. Right, because right, they're all stupid. That's right? right. Right. So I mean, that's the way you know. And I try even you know. Anyway, it's just uh, I'm I'm starting to rant now. I think no, but, no. <laughs> I think the bottom line is the bottom line is. But in that terrible movie, yeah. Uh, which was so full of lies. And I've seen, I did research on the film and, uh, you know, historians uh, who study uh, spycraft and espionage, they talked about it in detail and it was just, they were really good, but they, they, they tore that movie up. But the, the, the point is that in the movie, there was a Joe Pesci character. Yeah. And and the, that's the only part I liked where, uh, he's where he turns to the the James Angleton character Matt Damon and says uh, the blacks got their music Puerto Ricans got their salsa we got our thing what do you got and uh, the the CIA man says we've got the United States of America and you're just passing through now that may have been true many years ago but I don't know if it's true now. Well, I mean, the culture when changed. I, when I think about that movie, and I think of Robert De Niro's performance, and I think <laughs> of that other, I think of that other performance that he had in some movie about the Red Scare, where he was like, "Have you no shame?" Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. great artist, great actor, right? But an artist is supposed to be someone who um, uh, de- deploys his skill mm-hmm. uh, in a in an effort to understand the world, and yet here, this dude. The guy who made that movie and the other guy, Have You No Shame, right? Talking about the Red Scare in the 50s, sitting silently by when there was a coup d'etat against uh, the president of the United States back in 2016, an effort to stage a coup. So this idea, I mean, okay, if you're consistent, be consistent. You know, if you're you're upset about that, be upset. That's why I have more consistency, Nick. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's interesting to hear. You know, uh, people like Glenn Greenwald being uh, dissed by the left because, right. of course, they they would prefer to read him out of the game by saying he's moved when he hasn't. He's basically the same guy, just saying this is now it's the turn of the uh, of the left to be um, with the whip hand. Right. To be, yeah, right. So, I mean, this is it's again. I'm forgive me. I think I'm just sort of uh, you know ranting a little bit here, but uh, <laughs> it's outside. just we are in a very fractured moment here. And, uh, yeah, and it's. I think we're in a lot of lot of trouble. Yeah, oh, Nick, I got to ask you. you I mean, the, you, yeah. the the phrase "deep state tiger" is now my new favorite phrase. So yeah. I, I love Go that. Um, but in that in that vein, I mean, these the deep state, you know, air quotes, because um, it's you know, amorphous. The they wouldn't that idea that there's something afoot, or they've turned on Biden. That wouldn't do that unless there was a plan, right? I mean, that, that there isn't the like, well, we got rid of this guy and let's hope something's better. I mean, in my mind, they're like, well, we got to move him so we can get this to this and this person to this and this to there. I mean, is that well, is that is it? Are they that well organized that they, that they can think like that, or is it really just a let's see if this works kind of thing? I'm sure if you're the Democrat Party and the donors, you're thinking of it in those terms. We got to get rid of this guy. Right. Why is so right. much? Why is so much Democrat money? Uh, billionaire money going to Nikki Haley for the same mm. uh, clear clearly for the same purpose. 
Now, again, the deep state in the United States is not as consolidated as right. it was in Turkey. But the fact and, and in, there are other countries, let's say, in Eastern Europe, where this, the joke is that there are many deep states, OK, right. that there are various elements within the bureaucracy which are operating uh, in the same way, but at cross purposes for because they represent certain people and interests and others. Um, those are real Sorry to say, uh, people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, we haven't consolidated ours, but that's why this last seven or eight years is so important because we're seeing the consolidation of that. Certainly has helped consolidate uh, the media's role in perpetuating uh, establishment power uh, against challengers. I mean, that is a pretty clear that's, indication. That's what the media on. does now. Doesn't right, they, exactly. They find dissidents. They're the hunters. They find dissidents. They stick if they dare stick their heads up and say something about the uh, the government. The media is the group that hounds them and well, finds they're the them. point. They're the pointy end of the spear, and right, sometimes yeah. they actually and they have and sometimes they think of themselves as uh, participants, right, and and yeah. partners uh, when they're just tools. You know, it just reminds <laughs> me. I remember this picture of Ernest Hemingway from World War II sitting down with some general telling him about. Uh, you know, talk, talking strategy. I'm just like, uh, dude, really? I remember that. Well, yeah, really? I mean, I love Ernest Hemingway. He's a great writer, but, right. you know, come on, man. You know, really? You're going to tell, oh, it's a good thought. I hadn't thought of that. Like George Will and uh, Charles Krautheimer inviting President, young President Clinton to their house or, yeah. uh, to the, or and then Obama yeah. over for lunch. And we'll talk to him about, uh, you know, let him yeah. know the lay of the land. I mean, are you joking? Look, Aristotle <laughs> tried that with Alexander when he was 13 years old, okay? At least he got him when he was young. The, the, the idea that you're going to, you know, uh, become the brain of some guy who's yeah, already some 50 had year old man, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just the the arrogance about it right. is, just, right. is just so odd. And it's not like they have any particular expertise or knowledge about uh, the world, society, or any particular area that they can impart to people. I mean, this is well. This that's ludicrous. we've talked about this, John. I mean, that's one of the things. The hallmarks of, unfortunately, my lifetime has been the rise of the you know the the, the specialist, the expert, if you will, and yeah. the people they throw on the media and they say this person's an expert. They've got all these awards from all these places that have really nice DEI programs, and hey, we should listen to them about what we should do with masking, or we should listen to them what we should do about foreign. And it's and it's this weird, you know, yeah. expert by decree instead no, of actually doing. Well, it happens as we've talked about on this podcast for years is that the whole system has been morphed into this idea that if it's not progressive, it's not good for people. It's not the way of the future. It's not the way people should even behave. And my whole life, I was taught that you know that if you if you go backwards, you know you're you're a terrible person. And I think that's been ingrained in us. And now it's the same. Those people are running the deep state type idea. And they're even more lost than we were. I mean, I take the deep state in the 50s versus the deep state today because I feel like at least there they were they were they had a goal. There was a you know some sort of idea that they knew what was good and what was bad. But the again, Weisman, right. The, I mean, like John little... Foster Dulles and all those people. <laughs> well, right, right. But by comparison today, they seem like, you know, really well, uh, on the ball. Yeah, I'd say that uh, you know the the deep state of today is is staffed by midwits who <laughs> are are basically thinking about one thing and one thing only, which is the characteristic of deep states and their decadence, which is how do I um, help uh, preserve uh, the power structure? 
so that and, I can uh, benefit. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's just, you know, you think about, uh, I mean, just think of it this way. You know, I remember there was this famous interview with uh, Condoleezza Rice going on to Fox <laughs> News and yes. uh, saying, and I think uh, the interviewer was saying something like, it's horrible when a country, you know, uh, invades another country without, you know, against the law and illegally or whatever. And she's right. like, yes, how horrible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what happened to Iraq? What happened to uh what happened to uh, Kosovo, right? All yeah. these things are, they're real folks and they actually have an effect on other people's minds and you, one may not like it or not, but that is the perception. And so, and that's the same that we're confronting in the Middle East, obviously, by the way. So I think we're in this kind of situation now where the whole apparatus is, is falling uh, uh, apart brick by brick. And the question is, how can people uh, preserve uh, their meal tickets while uh, in in this kind of environment, and so there's going to be a lot more viciousness and the kinds of things that you're seeing uh, as the uh, things come to the surface. I remember, John, you told me once when you were on uh, when you were in the Merchant Marine, uh, you were in Africa, and you guys had an open hold, as I understand, and remember an open hold cargo ship. You were bringing grain, I think, from Louisiana to Africa or something like that. Yeah. And you were uh, in Nigeria, and and as you guys were vacuuming up the grain, and the grain started going lower, you would see the furrows, you know, you know, sort of furrows shooting across the bottom of the hold, and then it became clear that what those what was creating those furrows were the rats who had been living in there, you know. It was like uh, it was like the cartoons, like uh, Warner Brothers cartoons (laughs) in the desert, like with the rabbits digging. Seriously fast. Right. And then all the, the grain. And once you pulled out all the grain, you just saw the rats bouncing off the wall. We, so I think <laughs> there was an epic battle. Me and a bunch of guys from the Middle East with yeah. with scoop shovels. And uh, we were, we were down them? there. And yeah. brain, we were smacking them across the cargo holds because, uh, yeah. Didn't anybody have a 22? Couldn't they just ping them? <laughs> Did you ever, it's it's, it's a pellet gun? It's, Wait, dude! It's like you want to bounce a bullet in there. There's like, oh, that's a good point. No, yeah, that's yeah, why I say a gun. Right, no way. Soft press. All right. Well, we, we've taken a lot of your time, Nick. But before we go, I do have to ask yeah. you. I need a sure. I need a Casso brother story. I mean, I, you got to give me something. Um, I'm looking for something in the realm of maybe like a a high school going out for sports story, or if you got a John dancing to, you know, some music back in the day, something embarrassing. I danced the way I do now with my white man overbite and I don't even move. I'm the well, I remember, you know, I just think about, you know, the stuff you sometimes face, uh, you know, on a daily basis. Uh, and I remember when you were a kid, there was this, uh, we had a convict uh, in the neighborhood. <laughs> I remember this. Wow. Hmm. We had a convict in the neighborhood and they were. Just like, got out of prison for raping Just a got woman. out of prison and his brothers were on their way to prison. And there right. was a whole bunch of other people who, for whatever reason, uh, decided that they wanted to kick your ass. Right. And uh, I remember they like ganged up on you uh, in the church parking lot. There's about 10 guys. Yeah. That was. Crazy. And then I remember seeing my dad ride up on a bike. I thought, oh, this is over. <laughs> you know, my Our dad, dad on the stingray. You're right. Stingray. And I'm like, wow, wow, Handlebars, this is my dad. Yeah. And instead of saying, get the hell out of here, he made them all line up and made John fight them all one at a time. What? It was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it. What? It oh, first scared. of all, wait, wait, how many guys is this roughly? Probably about 10 guys. 
Yeah. And we're talking about guys who were, like I said, were on their way to prison. That's what that was their higher education. Okay. Yeah. Right. And um, I remember you had to slug it out with every one of those guys. Yeah. And I had never seen anything like it. So by the time I got to uh, where I was in the uh, martial arts world, the karate world, and I was going <clears throat> on a, uh, I had to do a, a big fight about like against forty people, right? Yeah. Same one at a, one at a time. Forty men kumite. Yeah. yeah. Forty men kumite. Against, but I remember against but black I, belts. Not okay. just yeah, we did that. Yeah, but you know kid, what? Uh, but you know what? What you had to go through was way tougher. Because that was real. That was not like under controlled circumstance. I mean, people can punch you full contact right. in a dojo, and it's still a dojo. It's not like you're going to go on the ground and someone's going to start slamming your head on the ground, right? Yeah. So that was very, very instructive. And I think so. it also tells you a little bit about John, <laughs> because that's the kind of character he was, you know? And I think it was a surprise to you. But um, I think that actually, if people are wondering why John's you know tough the way he is, pugnacious. You know, there was yeah. we had some yeah pugnacious. <laughs> That's the way, and we had some. Uh, there was some interesting times growing up in the you know South Side regions. And, so, and anyway. there are a lot. There are a lot of trolls who yeah. pour over all this stuff and try to find <laughs> find we- yeah. weapons and go on. St- Twitter, it's, they're pathetic creatures, really. But I mean, it's really amazing. Like they think that that's gonna like that's yeah. right. going to be. He didn't wow. grow up in. He didn't grow up in Chicago. He grew up in Oak Lawn. Yeah, I mean, I just find it. I just find it interesting. I mean, there's so many people who pretend uh, to talk tough. Oh God, right, especially on the internet. That's what the internet was invented for. Who have no idea, and um, you know, they have no idea. Absolutely, and it would and it would probably be good, I think, for many people uh, to experience, you know, what it's like uh, to to be put in that kind of a situation because I think it changes uh, your uh, approach in a variety of different ways. I've got one. um, I've got one thing to say to Nick and Jeff, and in closing, Uh, this week. The other day, there was a great hero of our youth who died, Carl Weathers. Ah, yeah. Also known as Apollo Creed. Yeah, he was great. The, great actor. As part of the whole white man uh, revenge against Mama Lee right. drama, Which, whatever it was. Right. So pathetic. But, but, the, in, the, right. but, in, those, but in those days, yeah. of course... You could say, you know, this is ridiculous. How could a a, guy, a, a small white guy be a guy like right. Apollo Creed? And right. that was true. But right. if you look at boxing today, right. I mean, the baddest guy out there is uh, yeah. Tyson Fury, even though he got smacked by Nagano and got knocked down. Yeah. I mean, a, an MMA guy who doesn't know what he's doing uh, basically almost uh, knocked him out. So, But the fact of the matter is you got some, I mean, there are great fighters out there, I think, of all different colors. And... uh but uh, man, I never saw anything like what I saw you go through. That was something. Oh, I'm gonna start crying. Thanks, thank. Especially your dad doing it. <laughs> dad, I couldn't. Uh, he was right, though. He was right. And why? Why were they mad at you, John? Or why? Why were they coming after you exactly? Or not exactly, but broad strokes. I mean, I. I think because uh, or I was a big mouth. Oh, okay. 
and uh, I deserved to get smacked. I did, I did. and uh, that's why I wanted so to. I'm glad I went into football. Changed. I went into football where you get smacked around. You know, you open yeah, your mouth, yeah, yeah. you get smacked, and uh, you know, I knocked around and had a few fights, but no, no guns or anything. Sure, yeah. Why were they upset? Uh, I think uh, two guys came out and tried to beat my brother up. I think it was Nick or Pete, two bro- two of their brothers on their way to Cook County Jail, and uh, and I smack him around, and then the older brother got out of Stateville, uh, who had uh, just ripped uh, a, raped a woman from in the back of the was it the Agonai maybe yeah, Agonai Tavern yeah and. Uh, Good place. Yeah, I mean, nice quarter, family. Quarter for a beer. Short <laughs> beers. And uh, he got out of it with a, he raped her, used a hunting knife to rape oh, her. Yeah. And uh, he came out looking for me. And yeah. uh, why, why you though? I mean, were you, you weren't writing stuff the because time, I, right? <laughs> writing. I mean, you were, I mean, I didn't, this, this isn't like you weren't like out blasting this guy. You didn't put him no, in jail. I, no, I was, I, 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 his two brothers attacked my little brother. Okay, just because they were I don't asked. know, Nick, was it you or was it Peter? I think it was, uh, I can't remember. Yeah. I, I don't think it was me, but uh, it may have been Peter. But maybe, maybe there was, I know there was one guy. Who, like a f- yeah, so I mean, you used to do that stuff. You used to yeah, that yeah, stuff for sure. I mean, I, I got uh, yeah, but it was too. serious. That was serious, crazy stuff. And like I say, you know, um, I went on to many years in uh, uh, Kyokushin martial arts, which for all the p- listeners out there, they know what I'm talking about. And um, man, it still mystifies me. Ajime, Ajime, let's go. Us, us, us. Anyway, so that's <laughs> well, that's the story for today. I love it. Well, Nick, you demystified yeah. it to an extent. Uh, the world at large. So I thank you for that. Uh, speaking yeah. of demystifying, always good to have you. I got to tell you, I mean, I, I you, just man. fall in listening to you and, and thanks guys. Just, just taking it in. You do a great job of adding like an alternative perspective that people aren't getting in their everyday lives, which is great because thank you. As thank we've you talked so about, they're not getting it. <laughs> thanks. And, uh, you know, I, um, if, uh, you know, the, I can be found at LinkedIn and in, uh, at Twitter, yeah. So if people want to look up my name and see what I'm doing on Twitter, that's great too. Cause uh, you know, try to bring in a lot of different stuff about uh, other parts of the world as well that I know something about. So in any event, uh, yeah, thanks guys. Always great to be on your show, John, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Nick. Nick. For Nicholas Cass, 30 years plus in service to the United States with the Department of State and with Central Intelligence Agency. Notice I didn't say the. <laughs> More importantly, 50 years plus as your as your brother. And 50 years plus <laughs> as my younger brother who never, yeah. you know, once I love him, but he never wanted to cut the grass. <laughs> Pete and I had to cut the grass. <laughs> he was always saying, He's always saying, I'm, I'm too allergic. And then he'd go off to read uh, about the exploits of Alexander or Eastern Roman history or something like that. <laughs> and for Jeff Carlin, executive producer at WGN Radio, friend of Katz, future physics teacher, husband to Christine, and for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of... JohnCastNews.com, 
where you always get a good cup of common sense. Join us again next time, won't you? On the Chicago way on WGN+.